Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning, people of the Vine and, uh, and other friends who have joined us in worship. And as always, it's, it's good to be with you. Here are two readings from Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. First of all, a reading from the prophet Isaiah. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, a fortified city of ruin. The palace of aliens is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat. When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of aliens like heat in a dry place, you subdued the heat with the shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And as the prophet Isaiah speaks to us, we, we hear the voice of God. And so we say, this is the word of the Lord. And a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So. The wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And the gospel, the the good news of God's kingdom, it is the gospel of the Lord. The texts that I've read to you this morning are are 
really right out of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. It's something that's called a lectionary, and there's certain scriptures that are recommended for each Sunday. And I decided I'm just going to go straight to that. And uh, so this week I've been in that experience of wrestling with scripture texts this week This week that I, I didn't exactly choose for myself. It's actually a helpful thing to do because there are always surprises that God seems to bring into the process. And the Isaiah reading is a case in point. The, the first section of the reading seems quite pertinent to how we feel about the days that we're living in right now, as Isaiah looks ahead to the defeat of Israel's oppressors and, and the destruction of their main city. It's, it's a vision of a city that is in absolute ruin. It's just, a, it's just a heap of stones and wood. It's a city that will never, ever be rebuilt. And in our time, we often wonder if the, the structures and the systems to which we've become accustomed are too ruined to ever be restored. Has something happened, not, not only in our own cities, but in our nation and even in the entire world that will foster a desperate change from which we'll never recover? Well, those are the kind of questions that a lot of people are asking these days. But both of our scripture readings this morning point to something that moves beyond ruin and destruction and fear. They point ahead to a feast to which all people are invited. Isaiah speaks of the destruction of a city that, that signifies Israel's oppressors, but, but he goes on to say that what God intends in the future is of benefit to all people. In fact, Isaiah makes reference to all, the word all, five times in this text, saying that God will make a feast of food and wine for all peoples, that God will destroy the, the shroud that covers all peoples, and then swallow up death forever. That he will wipe away the tears from all faces. And he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. So yes, according to Isaiah, there is dis destruction on the horizon. But there's hope for all people beyond that horizon. There is something ultimate that, that God has in mind, an intention that he has for the sake of all people of the world. Now, the Gospel of Matthew this morning takes us to another kind of feast. This one is found in one of Jesus' parables as he describes a scene that would probably have sounded fairly reasonable, if not commonplace, to, to the very first listeners to this story. It's a wedding banquet planned by a king in honor of his son's marriage. And the king sends his servants out to check up on those who were invited who had apparently failed to send in their RSVPs. Now, if you've ever had to plan a big event like a wedding, you know how frustrating it is when people don't respond and you don't know how many chairs to set up or how much food to buy. Now, I've been through this. And my answer is to only buy food that you like, food that can be saved for later. That way, if the guests don't show up, you get to take home all the leftovers. It's kind of a no-brainer. But the king in our story wasn't as cavalier about his event as I might be. He sends the servants out to get uh, commitments from the people, but every single one has an excuse about why they're not planning to attend the banquet. And then when the king gets insistent, the people abuse and even kill the servants. 
The result, as would have been the custom in the day, is that the king destroys the friends who had now become his enemies. In those times, kings could do that sort of thing. Well, the people who were invited to the party had apparently not thought this thing through very carefully. First of all, if the king of your land invites you to a wedding feast, it probably means that you are of some importance to the king since you're on the invitation list in the first place. And the, the king thinks well enough of you to invite you to his palace for a very elegant and lavish party. Secondly, if you disregard the king's invitation and treat his messengers badly, there will probably be serious consequences. Kings were fussy about that kind of thing. Now, in the first part of Jesus' story, his listeners would probably recognize the similarity to the history of the people of Israel. They were a called people, a special people, a, a people that would participate in God's redemptive work in the world. But the people went off track over and over and over, uh, not only ignoring God, but also abusing the prophets who came to warn them about their dire situation. Jesus' audience would probably nod their heads and they would say, yeah, yeah, we, we get it. And getting overrun and occupied by foreign invaders and, and even sent off into exile is the price that we paid for our turning away from God. But the next part of the story might have been a bit shocking to the people because the king turns from the most qualified guests who have now been destroyed and turns to the least qualified, the kind of people that no respectable king would ever invite into his home. He sends more servants out into the streets, and they extend the invitation to anyone with a pulse. And this time, the people show up. Some are good people, some are not so good. It's what you get when you scour the streets looking for random party guests. Well, this story, this parable, is about God's grace. By his grace, God has reached out to a people and made them his own, giving them the charge to be a people for the sake and blessing of the world. And when the most so-called qualified among them forget about their calling or, or disregard it altogether, even, even suffering painful consequences for their actions, God's grace isn't stifled. It's redirected. It's it's expanded, even to include those who are suffering the pain of their own corporate sin. That's what Jesus showed us when he spent time with the most spiritually unqualified people of his day. And when he touched untouchable people and healed their bodies and invited them into new life. But in Jesus' story, there's this one man, this one guy who strolls into the party not properly dressed for the occasion. And when the king asks him why he hasn't worn the appropriate wedding garb, the man says absolutely nothing. We're told that he's speechless. And why? Why is he silent? Why is he speechless? Is it because he was just a party crasher and knows that he just got busted? Um, was he trying to show the king that sure, he would come to the, to the wedding, but he would only do it on his terms. He would wear the clothes he just felt like wearing. Or if he, was, if he was too poor 
to afford a wedding robe, why didn't he just tell the king? The king probably had a few extra robes laying around, and he seems like the, the type to be helpful in that kind of a situation. But the man offers no response, and he's thrown out. The man never utters a word. He refuses to engage with the king, thereby stepping away from the opportunity to establish a personal relationship that is characterized by grace. Like a number of the parables of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of Matthew, this story about the king and the wedding feast is how Jesus describes the character of God's kingdom, which Matthew refers to as the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. And he starts the story by saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The kingdom of God may be compared. And what Jesus was describing was not something off in the, in the far distant future that had no bearing on the present, but something that represented what was going on in real time. The religious elite were ignoring God's invitation to be the people of his calling. And the least qualified people were being showered with God's grace. And they were receiving it with open hands and open hearts. The presence of God's kingdom was being enacted and demonstrated with every act of ministry that Jesus brought. Yes, this is a story about grace. It's about grace poured out. It's about grace revisited. And it's grace that is shockingly generous. But it's also about grace refused, grace disregarded, grace ignored. There is something in this story, as with many of the stories in the Bible, that, that hints at the universality of God's love and grace and mercy. Now, hold on. I need to pause here because I know that when any reference to something being universal about Christian faith, uh, whenever that is suggested, people wonder if we're talking about how, you know, all roads lead to heaven. It, it doesn't matter what you do because everybody's got a free ticket and all that stuff. But what we see in our text of scripture today is that God certainly seems to have universal concerns and universal intentions. And we see in other places in, our, in, in the New Testament that God so loved the world and that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God's care and purposes for the world are, are not hard to find in the Bible. And the great feast at the fulfillment of God's kingdom has a, a lot of available seats around the table. But the sense of being universal lies with God, not with human beings. In other words, God's intentions, God's purposes are universal, but human responses are particular. People can still ignore or disregard God's invitation. Or they can try to force God into their own mold by showing up with their own grand design and finding themselves out in the dark wondering why God didn't appreciate their creative reconstructing of his grace. 
You know, the, the people of God have, since pretty much forever, created structures and frameworks and processes to try to understand and demonstrate the depth of our face, of our faith. We've, we've written creeds and commands and systematic theologies to try to get our minds around what God has done for the world in and through Jesus. We've developed codes of conduct and life disciplines that, that help us take seriously how we conduct our lives in the world. Uh, liturgies and music and, and sacraments have been crafted so that we have processes for engaging together in worship. And sometimes those structures and frameworks and processes end up being concretized, turned into concrete, as requirements that must never be violated. But they are really living and dynamic expressions that are birthed by God's grace. Take the Lord's Supper, for example. We call, so call it communion, Eucharist. Sometimes people struggle with this practice in church because they don't feel worthy to partake. Or they don't think they are religiously qualified. Or, or they just think it's a ritual that they don't really care that much about. And all of those concerns would be valid if the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that, that bit of bread and that, that drop of wine, if it was some kind of evidence of our qualification for God's favor. But it isn't that, is it? It isn't even our table where this supper has been laid out. It's the table of Jesus. And by grace, he welcomes us to come and dine. God's grace was poured out to Israel, even in the midst of their exile. Jesus demonstrated God's grace when he touched the untouchable and embraced the marginalized and the religiously unqualified people of his day. And God's deposits of grace into the lives of his people are signs of the banquet feast that is yet to come, when all people will be soaked in God's grace, even those who just want to shake it off and find something that they prefer elsewhere. I know that a lot of us have been struggling with the difficulties that we're facing right now. Uh, the health and economic concerns, the restrictions in our mobility and opportunities to gather with others, all of that creates frustration and anxiety and anger. You know, I, I can't speak for you, but I know that I've experienced those kinds of feelings over the past eight months on and off. But I've been trying to ask myself two questions. Questions that, that might also be helpful for you. Where am I seeing God's grace being poured out in this time? And in contrast, where have I turned away from God's invitation to his outpouring of grace? If there's anything that I want to be attentive to, it's God's grace. And I really don't want to ignore what God is doing or, or to stand speechless before him when I've trampled his grace underfoot. I want to be someone who is awake to God's presence and his grace. And I imagine that you do too. You know, I've been thinking about how, how Jesus might craft a parable of the kingdom in our time. I wonder if maybe he would say something like, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a bunch of people whose lives and preferences and expectations have been disrupted by a plague. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a, a child who is locked in her room and all her toys have been taken away and she has to find new ways to use her imagination. Well, I, I really don't know how Jesus would do that. I'm just making all of this up. <laughs> but my point is, I don't believe that the presence of God's kingdom and the generous outpouring of his grace has dried up just because of our present circumstances. God has still invited us to his party to put on our wedding garb and to come and dine at his table. For we who are followers of Jesus, our imaginations do indeed have the opportunity to open up as we imagine and experience new ways to be together, new ways to be a worshiping people. We look at the cries in our nation about racial discrimination and injustice, and, and we look for fresh ways to love one another and to love our neighbors. We see division and anger, and we find new ways to foster unity and love. These are all signs of God's kingdom. They are ways that the kingdom is made evident to us and to others. And it comes to us as gift. It all comes to us as grace. You know, there's going to be times in our lives when we relate a lot more to the wedding guests who turned away from their invitation or, or to the man who showed up as though he could take the invitation lightly. Recognizing our failures is not to invite shame or judgment from God. It is to simply declare the truth about ourselves and resting in the ongoing gift of God's grace. And so today we speak these words together in full confidence that we can trust God's ongoing, loving, and gracious forgiveness. Lord God, your love for humankind, present in the beginning of all things, extends throughout history and touches even my life. Your love sees failings and forgives. Your love feels pain and wipes away our tears. Your love knows grief and comforts the sorrowful. Your love sees sin and still loves the sinner. Forgive us when we fail to live lives that reflect your love. Forgive us the many times when we take for granted all that you have done for us. Transform us through your spirit and empower us to serve you this day and all days. Amen. May the Lord enrich us with his grace and nourish us with his blessing. The Lord defend us from trouble and keep us from all evil. The Lord receives our prayers and absolves all of us of our offenses. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.